Let's open in prayer, Father. Thank you for today. We thank you that we can stand in your presence. We stand on holy ground. And Lord, we may not be on our knees. We may not be lifting our hands to you at this moment, but we are lifting our hearts to you. It's you that we want to hear from today. We want to understand your word. We want to find comfort and encouragement and exhortation in it. We want to apply it to our lives. Help us, Lord, that we would be honest with ourselves, honest with one another. And certainly, Lord, we know that you're all knowing. You know our hearts even before we speak. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to a, a very interesting chapter. It's, it's probably one of my favorite chapters, and the, the focus really is on faith. It's called the Hall of Faith. As I mentioned last week, many people call it the heroes of the faith, and we'll be looking at them later. But really what I'd like to say about those heroes of the faith, there's only one hero. Who is that? He died up on the cross for us. And any faith that you have is because you receive from God. He gives you this gift of faith. Maybe you feel weak in your faith or, or little faith and you can cry out. And he, he loves to hear and he loves to answer you, Lord, increase my faith. And it's something that we need to do is increase our faith, especially in a time like this, when there are trials and storms. Thursday night I, I taught from, again, the book of Matthew, and, and I, I titled it The Perfect Storm. What's perfect about a storm is the fact that God is in control. Oftentimes he leads us into that storm to protect us at times. At other times, again, is to instruct us and to draw us close to him. That's what faith does. It's faith not in ourselves. It's not faith in faith that so many people teach. It's faith in a faithful God. Hudson Taylor, who was a, a well-known man of prayer and faith. You probably heard me say this illustration. I, I marvel at it. And, and that is he stands before this crowd in Australia. And they introduce him as this illustrious man of faith. And he's embarrassed. And he said this. It's not hard to have faith in one who has been so faithful to me all these years. And I think... You and I know how faithful God has been. He's kept us through the storms, the trials. He provides when we don't even know where it's coming from. Each of us have a testimony. Each of us have a story. Well, this chapter is one of the greatest, again, mountain peaks. We all like mountain peaks. But it's the mountain peak of the, the Bible. Where we see the Word has become flesh in the people. What do I mean word becomes flesh? That's when the word, when who Jesus Christ is, is living in us. When we're trusting in him, when we're resting in him. I love, again, Zechariah, not by power or might, but my spirit, says the Lord. When the word becomes flesh, it's the spirit moving from us and through us, leading us and, and guiding us. Again, Isaiah, please understand this, because God's ways are different than your ways. Do you ever notice that? You think he's doing this and he's doing this. 
He says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We need to watch and look for God. There's a great book. It's kind of a work book, and there's a devotion book. And the idea of this book is God's at work all the time, all around. And you're looking for God moving. You know, oftentimes we're not following the Lord when we think we're following the Lord. Have you found that out in your own life? Faith will lead us to take steps and he will confirm it in our hearts. See, what in this chapter the writer defines faith. And really, as assurance, as confirmation of the things that the believer hopes for, the proof of the things the believer has not even seen, that you know for sure this will happen. Again, the entire chapter speaks about various consequences of the faith. Now, when we begin in verse 1, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 3, and then we'll go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, and then we'll next week we'll begin looking at the different people. Now, in verse 1 it says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, conviction of things not seen. Faith is assurance of things hoped for. Maybe you can't explain it. But again, the assurance of things hoped for. Do you know in your heart to be absent, the bodies to be present with the Lord? And in the presence, there, in His presence, there is fullness of joy. You may not be able to explain that, but you, you know that. See, we don't have to explain it. It's good we can explain it. But faith is something that becomes a part of you. Faith is something that you receive. There is saving faith, and then there's the faith that we practically walk out our lives. Now again, it says in verse 1, now faith is assurance things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. I know there's a heaven. I know that the Lord is coming for me. I know if something would happen to my family or friends in Jesus Christ, I will see them again. King David, if you remember, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then made arrangements that her husband would be killed and then they had a baby and that baby died. And he said, the baby may not come back, I'm paraphrasing it, but I know that I will go and see that child one day. I know in my life. And I believe most of you know that one day you'll see Jesus face to face. You'll see the prince in his hands, his feet. Even though you've never seen him, you have seen him in the love of others. You know he's real. You know he's alive. You know he's at the right hand of the Father now. You know when you're going through trials and storms, he is the one that sustains you. He's the one that's holding you up when you can't stand, when there's such a critical disaster and you couldn't have done it without him. As a believer, as I walk down that road, I, I have these questions. 
How did I ever exist without knowing God? What would life be like and all the things I went through? And I don't even want to imagine it. See, faith is important. Now, we want to kind of define it. See, by defining faith, it's, it's the assurance and the conviction. And what I'm going to do is kind of share really from the ESV study Bible. I'm, I'm saying that because I encourage you, it's good to have a study Bible to refer to. It's not going to deal with everything, but it's going to give you some sound principles. One study Bible is good in theology. Another one is in historic and background. These help you understand. They, they oftentimes will be a springboard for you to ask more questions. But in this study Bible, it says, by defining faith, the Greek word, it goes on, pistis, as assurance and conviction, the author indicates that biblical faith is not vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking. Instead, faith is settled the confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen, but has been promised by God, actually will come to pass because God will bring it about. Thus, biblical faith is not blind trust in the face of a contrary evidence, not the unknowable leap in the dark. Rather, biblical faith is the confident trust in an eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, eternally trustworthy, the God who's revealed himself in the word, in the person of Jesus Christ, whose promises have been proven true from generation to generation, who will never leave you and never forsake you. Those are powerful words. Now, you may not be able to quote that. Certainly, if I gave it to you, you could read it. But those who have been born again know He is God. He is the Son of God, referring to Jesus Christ. He was resurrected from the grave, and He's coming back. He knows what's best for you, He knows what's best for me, even if it's a storm. Even if it goes against the grain. Even though it may be this is not fair and this is not right. God leads us into these places to reveal our faith. See, he has to cause us to exercise that faith. That's what trials, that's what storms do. That's why God leads us into these places or allows us to experience these difficult times. It may seem it's going against the grain, but, but will I trust God no matter what those circumstances are? We need to stay focused, whether on the mountaintop, on the valley. We need to lock our eyes upon the author and the finisher of faith, the only one who will keep us, sustain us until that day, the day of Christ when we're caught up to be with him. See, it's in those times that God chooses to reveal himself. And certainly without God's revelation, there could be no reliable faith. See, this is how he builds this faith in our life. Here is the divine in this text, the divine, really, definition of faith. The only definition that's even given in the Bible. Yet, the scriptures give the evidence and the illustration of faith. What faith looks like when it's practically walked out. Let me read from Romans 
Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. How often do you just sit and read aloud and let the words fall upon your ears, your mind, and your heart? Boy, that's hard when I get in front of the computer because I want to dissect and look everything. I have to force myself to go down in the morning, get my coffee, sit in a chair and read aloud. Stay away from everything else that would distract me. These are the richest times when you do something like that because it's there that you can talk with God about the Scripture. Ask Him, Lord, Lord, what is this saying about you? What, what is it you want me to know about me? These are the rich times. When we remove ourselves from things that are even good sometimes just to sit with the Lord. Our Heavenly Father wants us just to sit with Him. That comfort. To pour out our heart to the Lord. To let Him speak to us. To assure us that He's with us. So faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Back in Hebrews 10, verse 19, it says, we began a new division in this book, the book of Hebrews. It was a change, and the subject becomes that of faith. Now, Hebrews 10, 38, it introduces it. Notice what it says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. We saw that Christ is greater than the angels, the sacrifices. He's greater than all. But now it turns to faith. Are you a man and a woman, a child of faith? Jesus says, you must come like a child. I love little kids when they pray. They believe God. And then something happens, we grow up. We begin to trust in ourselves. We begin to trust in the the world and, and, and something happens. But he says, my righteous ones will live by faith. See, they put their hand in the plow and they don't turn back. They know that God will provide. They seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, and know that He'll add all things or take care of all things. They make God preeminent. God, what are we doing today? Where are we going today? They're open. Their plans change. They look for, what is God doing here? Why are we here at this point? And they see the hand of God, the mighty hand of God. Faith is a firm persuasion, expectation. You've heard me use that term, expectation. We should be expecting God, to, this great God, to do great things in our life. He's wanting to. The problem is not with God, the problem is with us. Now remember, faith is not... In our faith, faith is in a faithful God. God wants to use you. He's looking for people that are just available to Him. He's not requiring that you have this gift, this ability. No, He will enable you. He will equip you. He will surround you with the knowledge and the resources you need. Just the question is, are you available? Will you allow Him to use you, to to go and make disciples? To comfort someone when they're hurting. 
Or maybe there's a death of a loved one in someone's family and we don't want to go and, and God's wanting you to go just sit there and weep with those who weep and see him minister to those people. Faith gives the believer a substance for our soul. Something, it grounds us, it gives us a foretaste of the, the future. Knowing that his word is true. Faith never looks to God with a, a cold heart. Clouded thoughts. Faith never looks to God and says, well, I know, God, you can do it for this person over here, but you're not going to do it for me. Doubting God is not faith. It's believing God. See, true faith imparts the reality and all the promises of Christ Jesus are amen. They will be. It gives us peace no matter what is going on in our life. We know the Lord's on the throne. A lot of people, they, they talk about faith in themselves and faith. And I, I got this faith. And really, we have a faithful God. And we're kept by him until that day. Let me read in Romans chapter 10, verse 6 and 8. It says, but righteousness is based upon faith, speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we're preaching. Now, some people take that as, we're preaching the word of faith. We teach and preach the word of God. It's not what I'm doing, it's will you receive it? If God says it, is that enough for you? For a lot of people, it's not. They want to go beyond dissecting and doubt. They want to say, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Faith simply rests and trust in God. Now look at verse 1 again. We're going to look at, really, faith is confidence. In fact, in verse 1 it says, faith is the assurance or confidence of things hoped for. That means we trust God for his promises. We know it's true. We know what's going to happen. We know that we're kept by his power, and that's so important. Now, the word here, the substance, is hypotastis. It means stand under. Sometimes it's standing under pressure. Sometimes it's just standing under this hope, this assurance. They would have us believe that faith is nothing more than wishful thinking, but no, it's trusting and standing under these promises and know that we're sustained and kept by him. This, it, it, one person is not more spiritual because he prays more. The only thing that makes us spiritual is when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And God calls us to different places. Faith believes God simply because God said it. That's too simple for the world. If God said it, it should be enough for each and every one of us. In fact, let me read Hebrews 6.18. So that there are two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who take refuge 
would have a strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that's set before us. So the first thing I just want to call your attention to is it's impossible for God to lie. Is it impossible for you to lie? No, you probably do lie. What does that make you, by the way? Liars. Liars. Yeah, but the reality is that's not our lifestyle. It is something natural of the flesh. That is a weakness. of it. But God does not lie. Everything that God says is true and is amen in him. And we simply believe it. Acts 16, 31 says this, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved in you and your whole household. A person of faith believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? Many people believe, demons believe, that believe means to trust him completely. It means put all of your weight upon him. Look to him in every situation. Know that you're kept by him. So if you do that, you believe in him. He is who he says. And you trust him. You'll be kept until that day. And then in John, the gospel, John chapter one, verse 12 says, but as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So something that a person has to do is believe God. Receive him at his word. Allow him to come into your heart. It's as if there's a table spread here. And he says, come receive from me. You remember in Matthew, come all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Jesus says, come to me. He will give you the faith. He'll give you the grace. He'll give you everything that you need. So those that come to him, receive from him, these are the ones that are saved. Now again, faith enables a believer to worship God. That's an interesting one because people are very confused on worship, what worship is. This is a worship service. Do you know right now that you're worshiping God as you're listening to the very word of God and that you're going to apply this to your life? Worship is not just singing. Worship is being a living sacrifice. All you do, you do to the glory of God, whether it's at work, it's home, changing a baby's diaper. It's all the same. And the way that you do it is very important. That's what makes it worship. When you correct your kids, you correct them biblically. So, again, it enables a believer to worship, to live for God, to become a living sacrifice, to thank Him and praise Him in all things and those things in the future and the future blessings, and know that they are sure, that you're holding on to them, because God does not lie. Now, look in verse 1 again. It says, all things hope for. What is meant by things hoped for? The things which are the things that we don't possess. You don't don't have everything you need right now. The things that are promised in the Word of God. Now you can buy a little box with little promises in it. But I think it's better just to read the Word and let God speak to you. And know that He's spoken to you. I don't think there's any greater joy than to be reading the Word... And all of a sudden, just know that God's speaking to you. He may not call you by name, but you know, 
this is I have for you. This is what I'm going to do in your life. This is what I want to do. Will you let me? Believing in the promises of God's word. Romans 8.24 says this, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, but hope for what is already ceased. You know that Jesus died. You know that he's coming again. You know that you're going to be caught up to be with him. You know you're going to, even though you don't understand it, rule and reign with him during a millennial kingdom because it says it in the Bible. You know that one day that the work in you and me will be finished. You'll be without sin, sorrow, and pain. You'll never say a hurtful thing. You'll never say a lie to anyone. The work will be complete. It's in Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Now, everyone is different. Some people are more expressive. Some people are more reserved. Pastor Chuck, before he went to be with the Lord, always looked for God to bless him each and every day. Now, that blessing is not necessarily monetary. The blessing is just to maybe be put in a divine appointment, just to see God moving in some way, to know his love, to see something miraculous, to sense his presence to sense his glory. Faith sees the glory of God. Have you ever asked to see God's glory? Ask and watch in the time to follow and you will see God's glory. Notice again in in Titus it says, looking for the blessed hope, looking for the, the appearing of Jesus Christ to come. Again, this is very important to understand because when we go to 1 John 3, 3, it says everyone who has this hope set upon him purifies himself as he is pure. See, if you'd read the rest of 1 John 1, and again, chapter 3, 1 through 3, it gives you this picture that, again, those that have their hope fixed on Jesus, it is a purifying doctrine because they're getting ready for the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to make sure there's no sin in their camp. They're taking care of those things, that they're making disciples, they're sharing with their family, their friends. They're looking for opportunities. They know that he's coming. They don't know when, but they know it could be today, tomorrow. It could be 10 years. It doesn't matter. One way or the other, you're going to go and be with the Lord. And and those of the faith are looking for his coming and looking for the opportunities to redeem the time right now. You are put in in this place for such a time as this, just like the book of Esther. Now, I don't know what it is for your life or your life, but you're not here by accident. Some people say, well, this is the greatest time prophecy being fulfilled. Granted, but you're not here for the prophecy. You're here for outreach and upreach and worship. To be a testimony, to be a witness to this community, what mature Christians look like. In the news, you see a lot of people, and they call themselves Christians, but their actions do not line up with Christ. People need to see Christ in your life and my life. 
men that are women that are grounded in him, looking for that hope. Not looking to change the world, knowing that Jesus Christ alone will change this world. Only Jesus Christ can change the heart. You can root all this sin out of the world and a person still not know the Lord. Think of the monks that would go inside a walls of a, a castle or something, thinking that they could hide from sin. It didn't work, did it? We can try and isolate ourselves from everything, but it doesn't resolve the problem. People want to be just in a Christian business, Christian environment. God hasn't called us to be in that place. God says you're to be in the world, but not of the world. To be in the world means we are to be like Christ. They need to see the light in this place as it gets darker. That's what's important. It's not so much going, looking for him, but being available each and every day. Looking with anticipation, expectation, God can use me. He used a donkey. He can use me. How about you? Do you have that desire? Faith encourages you to take that step of faith. Again, in Romans 8, 25, it says this, but we hope for what is what we do not see through perseverance we wait eagerly for. Through perseverance or patience. I don't like waiting. Do you? None of us like waiting. But God would have us wait. And God would have us occupy until he comes. Some people just really become no good. They're just busy waiting for the Lord. And being disobedient to the Lord, what he's called us to do. And they're missing the opportunities. Well, again, faith is conviction. You see it in verse 1. The conviction of things not seen. The word conviction, it means proof or evidence. Now, the best Greek scholars translate it again as, as this word uh, conviction. You just know it's true. You're convic- you can't believe anything else is, is what, really what it's saying. And the same word is used in John 8, 46. Which one of you, um, which one of you convicts me of sin if I speak the truth? Why do you not believe? The same word, again, the Greek, is used in John 16, 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When he comes, he will do this. But you know, right now, you're here. You're a Christian. Your life should convict those around you. Your life, when you're living the holy life, you're living for Christ, you're living that life of faith, should convict those around you, make them uncomfortable. When they want to tell their stories that are immoral, they're going to, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And then they run off and tell somebody else. They, they know it's wrong. I cannot emphasize enough that faith does not ask to see and feel and taste. Not at all. It's something that there's this conviction in your heart. Faith simply accepts the substance of things promised because the things that are promised are ours in Christ Jesus. And that's something important to understand. Who are you? Well, if you read again, in Christ, in Christ, that's the qualification. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're placed in Christ kept by his power. 
do a search in Strong's and see all the times that that phrase is together. See what it means to be in Christ. That's a man, that's a woman of faith. That's what our lives look like. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says this, Blessed be the God and the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an uh, inheritance. It's imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Do you believe that? Hang on to that. These are encouraging words. No matter, you know, people you know, do all this to, to get this, and they find out it, it's, it's not true. But here, with God, God does not lie. You have an inheritance. It's in heaven. It's imperishable, undefined. See, our faith rests in that. We don't need to worry about it. It's true. People may laugh at you when you say, I know he's coming. How else do you think people could be burned at the cross and sing praises to God, the martyrs that went before us? Threw into the lions, and, and they would not recant their beliefs. Faith that rests in a faithful God, that are kept by them. Again, I'm reminded faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. You can have a saving faith, but you need to continue in that word of God. You need to hear that word of God. And I'm going to read a long passage here. If you want to open your Bibles, fine, or it'll be on the screen. But I'm encourage you, if you don't know the passage, to read it and read it and read it, because it's some of the most wonderful, comforting verses in the Bible. And I may say that another time going through another thing, but I think these are some of the best. It's in Romans 8, 28 through 39. Notice what it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love the Lord and to those who call according to his purpose. He begins it, we know. Or are we trusting in this world? He goes on in verse 29, for, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among the brethren, that you're going to, you're predestined to be conformed to his image. Not the person you are today, but you will be just like Jesus. It goes on in verse 30, and these whom he predestined, he called. And these he called, he justified. That's the believer. God sees you just as you never sinned. And yet there are some that I've talked to, they, they don't know whether their sins are even forgiven, but they profess to be a believer. They think that God is angry at them all the time, and that's not what the Bible teaches. He separated their sins as far as the east as west. We just simply believe it because the scripture, the word of God, tells us that. And those he justified, he glorified you notice this is all past tense? This is very important. It's, it's done. Oh, maybe not here, but in the future, outside time, God sees you and I justified and glorified. Man, I want to see myself glorified and all of you glorified. I can't imagine what that would be like. The finished work. It's done. You can't lose it. 
If you put your faith in a faithful God, you will be kept until that day. And then 31, it goes on, what then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with, with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect, that's you and me. God is the one who justifies who is the one that condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, a sword? Just as it's been written, for your sake we are being Put to death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. Is there any conquerors here today, by the way? Let me give you a clue. If you're in Christ Jesus, your faith is in You are a conqueror. In Christ, he has already conquered death. The work is done. Our part is only to submit, just to continue to believe in Him. Again, but verse 37, But in all these things we're overwhelming conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, or powers, or height, or death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What happens if we lose a loved one? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No matter what is in this life, that should bring peace to our heart. That's what faith does. It gives us peace and joy and expectation, looking for the next thing that God is going to do and reveal. God leads us into these places, these difficult things, to reveal himself. The question really boils down to this. Do you want to see God in his glory? It may mean a trial. It may mean a storm. It may mean a difficult road. But I want to see him. I know what he went through for me. And I know you know what he went through for you personally. See, faith treats the invisible as though it's visible. Even though you can't see it, it's for sure. You can, you can see it. Abraham, if you remember, he, he was looking for a city that was built by God. Never saw it, but he went through that life. But he saw it in his mind, in his heart, in his faith. We're headed home. John 14 talks about that. He goes and prepare a place for us. If it were not so, he wouldn't have told us. I don't know what that home is. Some say it's a little cubicle. Some is it. But you know what makes it special? Jesus is there. We're not going to be in a world of sin anymore. In addition, faith treats the future as present. We have peace. We, we, by having this faith, we're going to heaven. We could bring heaven to this world. Oh, not literally, but in our hearts, we're heavenly minded. We should bring heaven to the people around us, our attitude, our actions. Not focused upon this world, but focused upon really the promises that he's given us. 
Faith is that evidence of things, again, they're not seen. You know it. Nobody can take that joy away from you. Nobody can rob you of that. Men have been in prison for years, beaten, tortured. Nothing can separate them from the God. Nothing can separate them from God. Abraham, as I mentioned, looked for that heavenly city. A builder whose maker was God. Abraham didn't have a road map. He just so journeyed by faith. Abraham didn't see the city, but he, he looked on the basis of God's promise. He didn't have to see it. The evidence of the existence was the fact that it was promised to him. It was in his heart. Will you confront whatever he sets in front of you? Faith is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's important. You don't know where you're going. You don't know why you're going. But you can have this desire in your heart to do it, and it's God. God has a plan. Now think for a moment. God's omniscient, all-knowing. He knows the things that I do and do not. Though I have, I can be taken by surprise, God is never taken by surprise. Nothing surprises him. He knows it before we even speak. He knows what's ahead. He knows what's behind. He knows everything that's happened in my life in the past and what will happen in the future. And he's leading you and me if we are in Christ. His plan is, is more important should be than mine or yours. Because God wants the best for you. He's fully able. He's prepared to handle anything that's laid before you if you will walk it out in faith. If you allow him to lead you, to provide for you. Well, I want to talk about, again, his possession. I'm going to read some verses and just kind of comment, tie all this together. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You are his possession. You are kept by his power. God had a plan. He's chosen you and he's working in you and he's making you a purpose a purpose uh, and a plan for your life. His purpose, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how tough it is, or tough it may seem, God has a purpose. He'll use it. He'll use it for my good. He'll use it for my glory, as we mentioned in, in Romans eight twenty eight. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love the Lord and call according to his purpose. But do you believe that? First thing when things go wrong, oh no, Lord, I didn't mean this. Lord, do you know what's going on? No. He knows. Again, God uses our trials, tribulations to instruct us, to protect us, to strengthen us. What we see is power when we stop and think about it. Let me read 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so the power of Christ may dwell 
in me. Are you weak today? You frail? All you have to do is offer yourself and then watch what God will do. But I have nothing. I have no strength. I, I have nothing to give to God. Just give yourself by faith. See, we serve a God of all power. He will keep us by his own power. And as we simply abide in him, we experience that power. The power of God, he, he energizes us. He gives us life. Now, all of us know what it's like to be tired, right? And when you're tired, it's hard to uh, really get your energy level back up. 2 Timothy 1.12 says this, For this reason I also suffer these things. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed. I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. He's basically saying, look, he is my protection. He is my rock, my strong tower in a time of need. I can trust him everything in my life. Because I'm saved, I am his forever in Christ Jesus. No matter what happens, I'm going to be with Jesus in eternity. Do you know that? That should be exciting. What is it going to be like, Lord? Now, that seems kind of odd to some people, but no. Talk to him. He wants to hear your voice. Sometimes we're just so busy we don't take time for him. I think most of us would love to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. He will praise you and me. There's the beam of seat one day that will be rewarded for the faithfulness. In fact, in that faithfulness, he's the one that makes you and me faithful as we just give ourselves over to him. We'll receive a crown, and, and one day we'll, we're going to cast those crowns back to him because we know we're unworthy, but he's worthy because he's given us the opportunities, he's given us the power, he's given us the faith. We just trusted him. Well, again, verse 2, we see the, really the, the duty of faith for by it men of old or elders in some translation gained approval. These men were the, the men of faith of the Old Testament. We'll look at many of them. They were, again, elders, synonymous. When you, when you get to the, again, to chapter 12, and let me read that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we have such a, a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside the encumbrances, the sin, which so easily entangles us. Let us run the encumbrances of the race that is set before us. These men and women that are gone before, they're a cloud of witnesses encouraging us, praying for us. He's faithful. Keep moving forward. It's so easy to quit. And yet we're being encouraged. So these men, these elders, these, these are, this, it's synonymous with, again, in Hebrews 12, 1, uh, these witnesses. Look again in verse 2, it says, and they gained approval. It means they, they gained a, a testimony. Do you have a testimony today? The faithfulness of God in your life? That he snatched you out of the miry clay. He's changed your life. He's healed your marriage. He's given you desires that you never had before that's good and pure and righteous. 
This is something that he does in every believer's life. It may be different because we're different, but he's at work in us. And we simply receive this by faith. Now, several of those, going back to the context, uh, these are mentioned in this chapter. Men like Abel in verse 4, and men like Enoch in verse 5, and men like Noah. Well, and, and there's Abraham, and you think about, well, these are great men of faith. There's no difference between you and me if we decide to trust God. If you look at their past, they all had problems. But they decided, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to take him at his word. See, these all gained good report. We'll look at these more later. The lives of these men show us that that faith is not only believes, but regardless of the evidence, it obeys regardless of the consequences. We just continue on and on because God has spoken. I'm going to trust him and him alone. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7 and 9 says this, So the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to the result of praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of faith and salvation of our souls. Even though you haven't seen him, you believe him. All that you've gone through, you have a testimony and the world sees it. These men are examples. Your life is to be an example to those around. The heritage that you will leave if the Lord would tarry that my grandfather, my father were men, and grandma was a woman of faith. Go to a cemetery sometime and begin reading the tombstones. We read the Bible. These men, their testimony continues today. In verse 3, there's the dynamic of the faith. By faith we understand the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what was seen was not made out of things which are visible. I thought about this verse, Proverbs 3.19. The Lord, by the wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deep was broken up and all the skies drip with the dew. God spoke all things to existence, no matter what anybody else is saying, God is the creator of the heaven and the earth. Now I'm going to read, it's not a part of your Bible, um, Second Maccabees, it's, it's uh, again Apocrypha. Apocrypha, there's good and there's bad, it is not the word of God, it is not inspired by God. The book of Maccabees is more of a historical book. It tells us some of the history between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. It tells us some of the things that happened. It also tells us about the mind, what people believed at that time. Let me read 2 Maccabees 7, verse 28. I beseech thee, my son, look upon the heaven and the earth and all that is therein, and consider that God made them of the things which were not, so that was mankind made likewise. 
See, the Jewish people continued to believe God had made this and basically made it out of nothing. Spoke it into existence. It continued all this time. Again, ten times in the book of Genesis, you'll read the words, God said. Genesis chapter 1, God said. Is that enough? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If a person struggles with that, they'll have a struggle with the rest of the Bible. God said. God created the the world by his word. He simply spoke it into existence. Again, there are people will go against it. He didn't use evolution. He didn't use Big Bang. God just spoke it into existence. You can add whatever you want to add to it. God did it. This world is not an accident. Listen, Colossians. Colossians 1, verses 15 and 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, meaning preeminent, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, in him all things hold together. He used to be preeminent all things. He simply spoke it into existence. It was made for him. And he holds it together by his very word. Isn't that amazing? The question is, do we really believe it? Again, in verse 3, so it goes on, so that what is seen was not made out of the things which were visible. There was nothing visible when God created this world. The word created, is, is, it, it becomes an argument. I'm going to tell you up front. I, when I first learned it, bara meant it's created out of nothing. There are great scholars. Both camps say, no, it doesn't really mean that. And they argue back and forth. The scripture supports it, even if that word's not true. Let me read here, though, for a second. Psalm 33, 9, it says this. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. That's enough. Again, there's verse after verse after verse. This is the main point. God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke, and it was done. This we simply accept by faith. Now, the final verse I want to call your attention to just briefly. We'll look at it in more detail later. It goes on in verse 6. We see the diligence of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, or a a rewarder of those who just simply seek him. This is for the believer. This is for the believer. Amos 3.3 says this, and I'm reading the King James, Can two walk together except they be agreed? You cannot walk with God if you do not believe God's word. 